Welcome to New Apologies with the Bible. Idiots, we're Chris and Emily Danielson. It is Wednesday. That means that it is time for our long-form teaching. But yeah, both Chris and Emily Danielson are here today. To yeah, say, I'm sitting Hello. behind the microphone. About to say cheerio to you before we play the message. Yeah, now you take us to one verse is basically one verse. the focus. You do bring other uh, yep. verses in, but one verse is really the focus of the message, and that is Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell tell me a little bit about what we're going to expect here. Well, I've got this, this deal going on. I want to be an elite servant of Christ. I don't want to just be great or very good or better than average. You don't want to be a goat? And when you think about... <laughs> no, I'll never be the goat. But... When you think about what it takes to be elite in anything, you realize that there's much more to it. And then I thought, well, there's there's got to be a foundational thing. And this verse in Isaiah was actually what brought Charles Spurgeon to the Lord. Mm. And I read this old old school Baptist pastor. He probably preached the, the message, um, I'm going to say... 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Okay. And I started reading that message with him quoting Spurgeon in it, and it was just such an inspiration. Now, you milk a lot of cows, you churn your own butter. But there was a lot of inspiration from this old Baptist pastor about this one verse that really helped me write this message. But it comes back to the passion to be elite. And there's a, there's a, uh, a, a quit in us where we're like, ah, yes, I don't really need to be elite. You yeah, know? there's a point where we just go, uh, yeah, good, good enough. Yep, exactly. You know? yeah. And Christ wants us to persevere to the end, to push forward, to hold fast, to make his name great, to reflect him. And that means that I want to push for that. I'm, I, I've just... I just do. And now, I don't know if there's a level you can get to. I'm not even sure. And I don't think I'm going to make it. But I've got to try for this season (laughs) in our life. And that's the basis of the message. All right. So Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Here's Pastor Chris. Today, the message is called Passion to be Elite. And when we look at passion and purpose, many times we get focused on that one thing. And this is part one of to be passion, to be elite. And I don't know how many parts it's going to have. Right now it's got three parts, but it could end up with five. And over the next seven or eight weeks, there will be three Sundays where we'll have guest speakers. And in between then, I want us to be thinking about being elite and what it actually means to be elite. And because I want this to be so simple and so straightforward, I want to have this message today be the first and the basics of what it really means to be elite. Now you hear that and you think, hmm, maybe there's more to it and it's not so simple. But it is, as we're going to get into today. The Green Bay Packers, prior to winning the first two Super Bowls back in the 60s, had played a pretty rough couple games, and they came to practice on a Monday morning. And Vince Lombardi, as history tells us, got all the guys together, and he held up the ball, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football, as if they didn't know. And they spent the next couple days 
working on basic things like where to have your feet when you lined up, how to actually address a block, how to use two hands to catch the football, stuff that these men had known forwards and backwards most of their lives, but he took them back to the basics because he wanted that team to push to be elite. The Packers sweep, they ran that 70% of the time some games. And you want to know something? No one could stop it, even though they knew that when they came up to the formation, that was what they were going to run. That's excellence. That's being elite at something. And so today, I want to come back to the most fundamental life-changing truth, and I hope it blesses you, but specifically anyone who truly desires to be elite servant of Jesus. It's something that we may only be able to strive for in this life. We may never get there. I don't know what it looks like to get there, but I know that I'm being called to push for it right now. And I know some of you in this room are being called to push for it, and together we're going to give it a shot. Fair enough? To actually be elite, to be authentically elite, is something that takes incredible focus, effort, desire, and it is grown out of a passion and a purpose. Have you ever seen a first-round draft pick? It doesn't matter the sport. A can't-miss draft prospect crash and burn in their first or second year of professional sports? Well, if you look close, you will see that they had passion to finish school. They had passion to get to the next level, and their purpose was to make a lot of cash. And then they get there, and their passion fades. And the purpose isn't the same because once you have the money that you sought, it doesn't mean as much as you thought it would when you were seeking it. And now the sport that they're in is really hard because at that elite professional level, it's different. The game's faster and they blow out. Now that parallels this analogy of much of what we face on this earth. Many times we think that elite is an area that is sometimes just great or very good or sometimes above average. Sometimes you get to see when you're pursuing something in life that great and very good, they're not elite. You realize that there is another level you can go to and you're not there. I used to race cars. And I thought I could be an elite race car driver. And I had some great races. And there were times I was very good. And I'm probably faster than all of you to this day. But then you meet some people that are elite, some shoes that are just phenomenal. When you turn on the NASCAR race at Richmond today, the consistency of a Kyle... I watched Kyle Busch take a rented Camry out on Berlin Raceway and with a rented Camry <laughs> came within about three-quarters of a second of the pole time for that night. He quit because he was almost folding the tires over. That's a car control that we don't know, okay? We're talking about an eliteness that when you see it and you're, you know it. You know, when I think about comedy, I, I was a very good comic. There were nights we had great shows, but I was never going to be elite. How did I know that? Because my son passed me. He used to open for me, and then there came a time where I opened for him. <laughs> and I'm convinced that my son could have been an elite comic. He had that it thing. He had it. Instead, he fell in love with the love of his life, and we don't call her Yoko out loud, but <laughs> <laughs> I joke. I joke. She, she's just, 
my son loves this girl, and they're, they're setting up this wonderful life in Michigan. And the hard side of comedy, the being on the road, the, the grind, he didn't want to do that. Instead, he wanted to live with the girl that he loved. And as a dad, you cheer him on. You're like, yes, you will always be my favorite comic for the rest of my life. And I know what you could have been, but you chose this instead. Because to go to elite takes a special kind of effort. I got a chance to film with my buddy Steve Biondo. He's a brother Bible idiot in Jacksonville, Florida, two weeks ago. And he's now the president of the Tim Tebow Foundation. And they're doing some work with special forces. And so they actually got the privilege to be embedded with the special forces for this really cool training for like five days. And at night, the special forces, Delta Force guys, some of the best guys in the world, they played this game called Speedball. It's basically like a lacrosse with a football. It's like a made-up game. And the commander came to Biondo. He's like, after the third day, he's like, you and Tebow got to go. He goes, he is wearing our guys out. <laughs> See, because Tim Tebow doesn't understand that they're just playing. If it's competition, he's just, he goes from zero to 100%. He gives it everything he's got. He's an elite athlete. And so he makes the special forces guys look just very good or great. Does that make sense? See, there's nothing wrong with very good or great, but to push for elite, that's something. That requires passion and purpose. And as Curly the Cowboy says, you have to let it be your one thing. You have to be that one thing. Tom Brady, do you know what his, his gift to himself is when he wins a Super Bowl? He gets a half a cup of ice cream as a treat. That's passion and purpose in a focus. I'll eat a half a cup of ice cream and I didn't win anything. <laughs> you know? I mean, see, I'm telling you today, I want to push to be elite, an elite servant of Christ. And what that'll actually mean and how that is defined, it, we're going to shake it out on the path today. You follow? And we're going to start today with Isaiah 45, verse 22. This is one of the most tremendous texts in all the Word of God. This is it. This is our only verse for today. I'll mention some others, but this is the one I want you to focus on. It says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Let's get this part first. Let's get this down today. Okay? This is the Lord's tremendous and significant word to all of mankind. This is the message of the prophets, of the sages, of the seers, of the psalmists, all throughout the centuries. And this is the message to which when a man answers, when a human being, when a man or woman answers, it determines their condition, their character, their salvation, and their destiny forever. So I want to take this text today in just reverse order. We're going to take the last part first, for I am God and there is none other. Then we're going to go to the second part all the ends of the earth, and then we're going to go to the third part, look unto me and be ye saved. Now, I'm going to ask that we leave the Scripture just up the whole service. It's right there for you. Whenever we're talking about it, it's right there, okay? The context is clear, okay? The last clause is the summation of the whole Word of God, and it's in the 45th chapter of Isaiah, for I am God and there is no other. Oh, that's so anti-American. We want to have 25 different solutions, right? But when you look at this verse, 
Maybe we could look around the text and see what other verses are there. I'm just going to share them with you, but this is where I'm going to stay today. It says in verse 18, For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself has formed in the earth and made it. God made the earth. He's our creator God. This didn't just happen, okay? Verse 20, These false gods have no knowledge in the people that set up the wood and their graven image. They pray unto a God, little g, that cannot save. Who hath declared from this ancient time? That's in verse 21. Who declared it from that time? Was it not I the Lord, and is there no other God besides me? A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. This is God slaying it down. And then the text, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. It presents to us today one true and only God. This is the cry of the prophets. This is, this is what went down with Elijah on Mount Carmel when he's laughing at the prophets of Baal. They got nothing, 400 of them, chanting and doing their, their mumbo-jumbo, and, and, and Elijah's laughing at them. And then fire descends from heaven and takes up his burnt offering. You can look it all up in 1 Kings chapter 18. And the people cried to God. They cried out to the Lord, Jehovah, he is God. The whole Bible rings and resounds with one great monotheistic revelation, one great heavenly smackdown you can't run from. And it starts without reservation, clear as a bell. It's this. There is one and only one true Lord and God. In confusion lay all the false deity and false gods of the ancient world. Think about the, the false gods of Nineveh that they used to lay prostate before themselves, or the, the winged bull of Asher, and all of his little fellow little g-gods, and all these other moles and bats and their present companions. Ask the false gods of Greece what they're up to. Ask the false gods of Rome what's going on. Or how about the gods of Jupiter or Dagon? Ask the mounds of the earth under which these false prophets are now, these false deities, these false little g-gods, where they're buried. They lie in ruin in their departed deception because it's been exposed and it always will be by the one true God. And what has been true of these gods in the ancient world will be true of this present world too. Mark my words. There will come a day when Buddha will be forgotten, when Brahma and Vinshu and Krishna, they'll be names of the past. And the false gods that America worships, power, money, prestige, fame, fortune, amusement, they're all going to perish with this passing age. It's going down in flames because there's one true God. And in the world of 2020 and fear-mongering CNN and their ilk, let's add the God of health and safety and comfort, little g-gods that in the last days continue to deceive people here in this land that was once the authentic good old U.S. of A. There is but one God, one true God, and his name is the Lord Jehovah. And in Isaiah 22, verse 22 of 45, it says, Look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is no other. Now, who does he make the statement to? All the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth. 
So if we're standing here today in Abilene, Kansas, where, where are the ends of the earth? Well, they're the ones that are the very far and beyond, right? The ends of the earth are the, you know, aborigines in central Australia, right? How about the Bantu and the Bushmen and the tribes in the central of darkest Africa? That's the end of the earth. The Stone Age Indians in the Amazon jungles in South America, they're parts of the ends of the earth, right? But what if we stood there? Where would the ends of the earth be? That would be us here. Follow? We're also part of the ends of the earth. It includes the farmer in the prairie lands, the construction worker, the truck driver, the polished Harvard scholar, the eloquent and learned seminarian, the totally put-together businessman and woman. They're all part of the ends of the earth. The wretched, the sinner, stuck in squalor, the drunkard, the pimp, the drug dealer. They're all part of the ends of the earth. And we in this congregation this morning, we are also some of them, the ends of the earth. You individually and I here, we're part of the ends of the earth. And the wonderful message is addressed to them and to us. And it says, look unto me, face unto me, turn unto me, call unto me, and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none other. Will you look again at the descriptive appeal of this outstanding and marvelous? Look at it on the screen. Look to me and be ye saved. All the ancient philosophers and thinkers and teachers, they were brilliant men. and They they were some of the most awesome minds that our modern academic and university world could ever even think about. And the world holds these guys up to be elite And for some people, they pursue that as their one thing. And it leaves them empty. One time I looked through the courses offered at Oxford and Cambridge University in England, and there was something like over 400 different courses uh, offered on Aristotle alone. Those elite great thinkers of the ancient worlds, a Socrates, a Plato, an Aristotle, They asked the right questions and they sought the right answers. But in the end, you know what happened? They stumbled around in the dark. They didn't have it. Death in the grave in the world, it lay beyond their grasp, beyond their comprehension, their understanding. And they taught and they lived and they died having never knowing the ultimate truth. They sought it. They inquired about it. They pierced into the gloom of the midnight, these people, with brilliance. And in the darkness of the grave, they could never see it. It only comes to us humans when we understand that God incarnate walked the face of the earth and taught us the truth of the revelation of Almighty God. For it is in Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, who revealed to us the full truth of the Almighty. He revealed the character of the great, mighty, and invisible God who no man has ever seen and whose no mind can ever really fully comprehend. Which is why I say the one thing with passion and purpose. I want to go for the elite. I don't know if there's a place we can get where we can consider elite. It might just be a constant journey. But is he not worthy for the pursuit, for the journey? 2 Timothy 1.10 says, It is Christ who brought life and immortality to light. Isaiah 45.22 It's Jesus who says, Look to me, turn to me, call to me, and be saved all the ends of the earth. 
notice how simple and plain it is. It's just simple. Here's the plan of deliverance to salvation. Look unto me. Anybody can look. Doesn't require an education to look. Man doesn't have to have prestige or status or power to look. It doesn't even demand moral excellence or righteousness. Even the vilest and lowest of the most wretched of sinners can look. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. But now, here it is. Here's where we stumble and hesitate and falter and fall, right here. How could it be that simple a thing that I can look and be forgiven of my sins? Look, some of your translations will say turn. You're transferring that trust that I've talked about. That's what's going down here. That's, it's not just glancing over there. Oh, I guess God's over there. I'll be over here. No, it's a, it's a look unto him. You're trusting him for your salvation. Be saved by it and look. And we say, in our arrogance, well, there, there must be something else. Gotta be something further, something besides that. I mean, surely there's gotta be this deep, mysterious ceremony and rites and rituals that are required, you know? Surely somebody's gotta be swinging the smoke show thing and we all gotta start chanting something, right? It can't be this simple. There's got to be some incomprehensible words that must be said, some other mumbo-jumbo. You know, certainly, i got to do some great and mighty deeds first to be delivered and to be saved. But to look, just to look? How simple a word. Four letters, and two of them are the same. Just look. Other translations are turn. And it's all about that. I've talked to you about this, the transferring of trust. In 2 Kings chapter 5, there's a great story, verses 1 through 14. You look it up later. I'm going to just paraphrase it for you. Naaman, mighty man, master of all the hosts of Assyria. He was the dude of dudes. But he's got leprosy. Oh, no. Maybe he'd go to Elisha, the man of God, to be healed of leprosy. Elisha didn't even come to the door to greet the guy. He sent his servant out. And he told him, Dip yourself seven times, go down to the Jordan and wash, and you'll, you'll be clean. And Naaman was torqued off. He's insulted. Why? I thought the prophet would come out, would call upon the name of his God, and a great dramatic gesture strike the leper and I would be clean. Or he thought that some great dramatic gesture you know, would be like bringing a million talents of gold and there would be this ceremony and, and there would be all this pomp and circumstance because... He's Naaman, but to go wash, just to go simply wash? It's simple. It's a one thing. So we stumble, we hesitate, we, we look. Can we just be saved by looking? And if and when we have a tendency whatsoever to look, here's the other part. We look at everything and everybody except God. Some look to Moses and the law and the lightning on Sinai. Oh. Some look to the priest and some other minister to, to give some sort of ordinance for them to be saved. There are others who want to just, you know, I want to get in the baptismal and then my sins will be washed away. No, baptism's out of good old fashioned obedience where you are symbolizing coming up into a new life and it's, it's, it's highly recommended for everybody. But it's not required. 
There's no salvation in the baptism. The baptism is a testimony, is a statement out of good old-fashioned obedience. And if you've not been baptized, come on. We're going to try to do a baptism service in June. And the way Megan explained it to me, we rent the pool so it really turns into a pool party. And who doesn't want to come to that? (laughs) Then there's people who look to themselves and they examine themselves. Did I repent just right? Did I believe just right? Did I join the church just right? Is my covenant partnership... Now, am I living right? I know I did this. I know I looked. I know I turned. But now, am I living just enough? Am I consecrated to the Lord properly? And where where are they looking? Inwardly. They're looking inwardly to themselves. All the while, the voice of God is ever simple. Look, look, look. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, look. Oh, this was the text that on the first Sunday in January, 1850, it was this text that converted a young fellow at 15 years of age in Essex, England. We know him to be Charles Haddon Spurgeon. There's a plaque on this little chapel where Spurgeon gave his life to Christ, and he writes about it. And he was trying to go to a different church, but there was such a snowstorm that as far as he got was this little chapel with 15 people in it, and he went inside. And the preacher didn't even make it that day. So Spurgeon writes and says it might have been a tailor, it might have been a shoemaker, got up and just started, this was the text, and he just started reading it. And Spurgeon had been searching the promises of God. He had been searching where he was finding in the scriptures threatenings of God more alarming than the salvation of God being joyful. And Spurgeon writes, I read the privileges of the people of God, but with a foolish persuasion that they were not for me. He's reading a lot of this stuff and he's thinking, that's that's for others, that's not for me. The secret of my distress was this, I did not know the gospel. I was in a Christian land, I had Christian parents, but I didn't understand the freedom and simplicity of the gospel. These are words from Charles Spurgeon. And so this guy gets up to preach, this shoemaker, and he begins like this. This is what this unlearned man who was stuck in a snowstorm, nobody else to speak, so he stumbles to the pulpit and opens the book to Isaiah 45, 22. And he didn't even pronounce the words rightly, Spurgeon said. But it didn't matter. A glimpse of hope was brought to him in this text. The shoemaker said, my dear friends, this is a very simple text. It says, look, that does not take a great deal of effort. It's not lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. You can be the biggest fool and you can look. A man may not be worth a thousand in a year can look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But what this text says is, look unto me, I, he said in his broad Essex, many of you are looking to yourself. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourself. Now to Christ it says, look unto me. Excuse me. What Spurgeon writes next 
is why I give you that setup, because I want to share this with you this morning. <clears throat> the good man, the shoemaker, he just started talking like this. He said, look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me, look to me. Spurgeon writes, when he had gone about that length in minutes, he had spun out 10 minutes or so. He was at the length of his tether. He had nothing else to say, so he looked at me under the gallery with so few present, knowing me to be a stranger. And he said, young man, young man, you look so miserable. Well, I did. But I had been accustomed to having remarks made of my personal appearance from the pulpit notwithstanding. However, it, good, it struck a good blow. He continued, you will always be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death, if you do not obey this text. But if you obey now, this minute, you will be saved. And then he shouted, young man, look to Jesus, look now. And Spurgeon says, I did look to Jesus Christ. I looked until I could have looked my eyes away, and in heaven I will look still in joy utterable. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness rolled away, and at that moment I saw light. I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. Looks alone to him. In Christ alone our hope is found. Trust Christ and you shall be saved. And I, like millions of others, have been so impacted by Spurgeon that this story takes on even a more significance for me because of that impact. And if you're like me, you want to go to that elite level of serving Christ, it starts with knowing the simplest of look. And then we continue to look all the days of life and something incredible happens. We understand that our one thing is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then with a passion and a purpose that we can't conjure up ourselves, we live out our days wanting to serve him with everything that we have. And we don't want to miss a moment with him. And we don't want to miss an opportunity that he has for us. And his kingdom in our hearts has started right now. And we look unto him. We turn to him. We've transferred that trust. And he is our one and only true God. Is that how it is for you today? If not, today's the day to look. All the ends of the earth to the one true God and be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just love you and thank you and praise you. Creator, King, and Counselor, we come before you today as humble servants. And to want to be elite is not a humble statement. But that just means that we want to have that passion and purpose that transcends very good and great to another plane, to another level. We know that that's just wrapped in love and truth. And we can't conjure it up ourselves. We can't get there ourselves. You need to help us. Lord, we pray that the spirits that's knocking on the door of someone's heart right now, that they would yield to you and be saved. We love you, Lord Jesus.
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and just give you a peace that can't be conjured up any other way for those who've looked to Jesus and who are saved. Have a great week. God bless you. Amen.